really was looking for was something that would last. A feeling that would give me some sense of peace about who I was. I knew something was missing. I could describe it later, but I couldn't describe it at the time. I, was not, I wasn't miserable. I wouldn't describe myself as that way. Don't get me wrong. I was, I was generally a fairly sort of happy-go-lucky guy. But I just felt permanently uneasy. Um, like I was getting life a bit wrong. That there was something that, that wasn't quite right about my very existence. Um, on a deep level, you know, sort of fun-loving around everyone, kind of could have a good time, but then would sit in my own sort of quiet and think, don't feel quite right with myself. And then there was that day. I was in my early 20s, about 24, I think. Terrible with dates, as you heard earlier. Um, but it was as if someone opened um, the door of a jail cell, is perhaps the way I could describe it, offered a way out of that, a way to be free of all this unease and the gunk that I was filling my life with. Um, so the best way I can describe it now is like someone reached out a hand um, and asked me to come away from that life and into a new one, one where I'd stop feeling that, that strange unease and emptiness. That I, I later described it, and, and people use this phrase quite often, I was trying to fill a God-shaped hole in my life with other things. I would load things into that hole to make myself feel like, yeah, I feel better about myself now, but they would never last. They just would eventually evaporate. I could never quite reach that place of like feeling solid in myself. That day was the day I met Jesus Christ at what is the early version of this church. So I'm not a Christian. I'm in my mid-20s. I've led a pretty, what you would call a hedonistic life now. And yet in the church, something changed. I met Jesus, not in some, you know, and I'm sure some of you are picturing it now, especially if you're kind of exploring the face, some cheesy, twinkly, musically, sparkly way. It wasn't like that at all. It was more like a stop messing around, Andy, kind of way. You're never going to find what you're looking for where you're looking. And let me offer you something else. It was a, it was a firm, assuring, definite, almost powerful moment of just stop mucking around, come on. It's time to accept that you need something else in your life. So that hole I was trying to fill, I now know, was a relationship with God that I didn't have, that I, I didn't even know I actually wanted, if I'm honest with you, and that Jesus was the way to that relationship. It was against, for me, it feels like now, to use a Phil Collins song, against all odds. It was against all odds. Um, and it took some humbling. I had to humble myself and a bit of courage that I don't think was my own. I would now attribute that to something the Spirit was doing in me at the time to say, I need Jesus. I need you, God. Spirit, help me. Because I've tried everything. It's, uh, we often use the quote from Jim Carrey. I wish he said something like this. He said, I wish everyone in the world had everything they ever wanted. Then they've realized that is not it. That is not going to give you what you need. Um, if you were at the memorial service yesterday, you'll have heard stories of Linda's life and how it was changed by Jesus. You would have heard Chelsea give her testimony about how her life has been dramatically impacted by Jesus. Um, I think you would have to be made of stone yesterday not to have been moved 
by what was being shared. The stories of Linda, the stories of her life, and the stories of how Jesus had changed her and her journeys of faith. You see, telling stories out loud is very powerful. Very powerful. Uh, And I'm not a natural-born storyteller. Um, What I realized as I prepped for today is that I have a story and no one can tell it like I can. Telling stories, recounting them out loud is much more powerful than writing them down or even reading them. Um, Sorry, Lewis, could you do me a favour? The clicker's over there, I just realised it. Do you mind? If you could put my PowerPoint up as well, please. Uh, I appreciate it. We've all been sanitised this morning, just to be clear for everyone. Wonderful, thank you. So, um, I have a friend called uh, Roy Mowat, is his name. Um, And um, he uh, started up a company. uh, And I helped him start it up from a process perspective. It was his brainchild. Um, And it's called Lifebook, and it's doing very well now. Um, In fact, I spoke to him recently just to see how he was doing. What they do is they have interviewers who, all around the world, um, they'll freelance interviewers, and they will go in and they will interview people to get their life story, mostly older people. Um, so people will buy this as a gift for their grandparents to, 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 to have this process of telling their story to, to one of these interviewers. On multiple occasions, there will be multiple meetings, multiple Zoom meetings these days to learn and share their stories. Um, and the ghostwriters would then, at the end of it all, create a book. They would take all the notes from all of these and they would create the autobiography of that person. And then it would be available to physically buy through Amazon or obviously download electronically. And this book would be this great memento of the story of someone's life. But what they realized as they were setting up Lifebook and what they realized more and more as they ran the company was the proven healing power of telling a story to the mind. Telling their, people telling their own stories was like a brain exercise. And as they told these stories, emotions would start to stir up again. And they would, tell, they would say, oh, and I forgot about this. And as they were telling the stories more and more, things were coming to mind. Um, and to quote from, I don't know if I've got control here. Oh, yes, I have. Um, let me see if I can get this to... <laughs> here we go. Technology's going to catch up with us eventually. This is a quote from... Um, the director of, uh, it's called Aging, Successful Aging in Lifebook. Um, she said this, Linda Shaw, our memories are, are extremely precious to us and recalling and sharing them with friends and loved ones not only allows us to enjoy them by reliving them, but also keeps our minds active. Something especially important as we get older in order to keep our brains healthy. We, when we share our personal stories, we further remind ourselves of in this case, our achievements, our successes, that we may have not acknowledged for many years, enhancing our confidence and self-worth, as well as as reinforcing meaningful relationships all over again. If I've got your attention, please keep listening um, this morning. Because this whole series that we're going to do, it's a short series, is about remembering God, remembering Jesus, remembering when things have happened. And today in particular, it's about remembering what God has done. And therefore, and this is the most important thing, I'll say this many times, what he is doing and what he will do. 
We remember to acknowledge what God is currently doing and what he will do. If God was faithful, he is faithful and he will be faithful. If God was loving, he is loving and he will be loving. So we're going to start this short four-part series, which was created by the Evangelical Alliance. It lasts four weeks. It'll be accompanied with stuff in your midweek groups. Some, they've done some great resources, some really good videos. If you were here at the beginning, you will have seen um, a short clip of one of them. And we just pray, Aaron and I, that this series blesses you mightily. And today's message is called, um, Remember When God. Um, and I've subtitled it, We All Have a Story to Tell about remembering, today is really about remembering is key to the Christian life. Corporately remembering and personally remembering. remembering. Sorry, but, but I have to keep restating because God will have done this and he is doing this and he will do this. We're going to look at how the Bible today um, pictures remembering and some traditions that call us to remember in order to sustain faith in the present times of trouble. And frankly, we need that right now. Amen? We need that right now, that we need to accept that God has done things in the past and it will help us in the present. To uh, quote um, a guy called S.A. Ellington, I think I put this in earlier. Let me see if it's... There you go. I've got my slides in the wrong order. Uh, it says this, Historical recitals in Scripture are never simply about events in the past, but are concerned with a dynamic, like living encounter of present and past that grants new shape to both. So recitals of scripture are not just about the past. They're concerned with a living, dynamic experience now that helps us shape the future. So how we remember God's faithfulness helps us look forward to trusting him that he will remain faithful. So in the midst of coronavirus, when we're worried about the current circumstances, sometimes we need to look at back and then take it, bring it into the present and be hopeful for the future. So I pray that as a result of this series, we can become better storytellers, better story recallers and better storytellers. I shared my story at the beginning. I hope it spoke to you or some of you. And as I share my story, I want to get better at doing that because you can try and be an evangelist if you want. You can try and have theological debates with people if you want. And amen if you do. But no one can tell your story like you can because no one has your story to tell. I want to recommend a book to you. I don't, we don't do book recommendations very often, but this is really good that goes along with this series. This is called Story Bearer by Phil Knox. We had the privilege of seeing him speak recently at an event. Um, and... In this, um, in this book, um, Story Bearers, um, he says this, I pray that sharing your faith, by sharing your story this is about, becomes more natural relationship than nagging responsibility, more genuine delight than guilt-ridden duty. I think that's pretty punchy, yeah? Because I know what it's been like. I've been a Christian since my 20s, as you, as you well know today. And my point here is this, that, that often sharing the gospel feels like a nagging or guilt-ridden duty. And the idea of this series and Phil's book and what we're going to try and do today and for the next uh, four weeks is to say, no, it should be a delight, not something, oh my word, I have to do this. But actually, I've got a story to tell and no one can tell it like I can. Um, for a moment, 
have a think about things that we as human beings celebrate communally, like in groups. Have a think about those things for a moment. Perhaps a little bit insensitive of me and painful to bring up at the moment considering what's going on with lockdown. But I know I was chatting to Lewis uh, this morning about sort of getting together again as a church, the things we love to do as community. But we also miss things like birthday get-togethers. We've got my daughter's 21st coming up in, in the beginning of February. We're thinking, well, that's going to be a, a very tight event. But So we're almost like, oh, we want to get the family around to celebrate there. Um, wedding anniversaries, weddings themselves, in fact, births. And things even like the big sort of events like the Queen's Jubilee, the national stuff. We miss these moments where we commemorate things. We have dates when we mark things together. And there's something about us as human beings that want to come together at that moment. What is that? Don't know. Can't explain it. We were chatting this morning about what is it about the human desire to kind of be together? We're used to working online now, but something that just longs for a group gathering again to celebrate something and birthdays and all these things, those moments we do that. Um, they're time to celebrate and they're times to recall, remember when. Remember when. So Jane, is, my wife, is currently working on our photo album in our house, going through all our old photos. And it's the slowest process you have ever seen because we have thousands of photographs. In fact, just as a minor aside, um, I was looking at some of the studies that Lifebook did. And one of the studies they did proved that when people were asked, if your house was on fire, what would be the first thing you would recover? 35% said photo albums. Now, the digital age, it might be different, but they would go in and grab photo albums before anything else. Obviously, human beings aside, yeah? Wallet was 10%. Photo album was 35% of people. Anyway, back to Jane. The slow process is because every time she takes out a photo, she generally goes, ah, oh, remember? Ah, oh, when was this taken? Ah, oh, when were we then? So we've got thousands of photos and everyone's taking a good 10, 15 seconds at minimum. It's going to take forever. But the point is, there's something about remembering moments, looking back and remembering and commemorating moments. Um, so to get, today, we're going to look at three defining moments that, as God's people, we are called to, um, to an act of remembrance around them. And they help us understand who we are in God's eyes now. So we're briefly going to look at Exodus, Passover, and then we're going to look at the Last Supper and we're going to take communion together um, if you are up for doing that. Like I say, it's, if you're new to this stuff, don't feel pressure, but we are going to take communion together um, at home. So Exodus. Um, so recently we did a series on Exodus as a church. I absolutely loved it. I have to say, it's, I really found it just a wonderful series to go through. But it's, it's as many of you will know, but not all of you may know, it's the story of how the Israelites... Um, were enslaved under Pharaoh in Egypt, and God promised that he would set them free, and ultimately he did. And the story is one that's sort of rooted firmly in how God loves his people and is faithful when he makes a promise. So if God says it, it will happen. Um, and Exodus is like a focal point of a promise that God made to set his people free, and like I say, he did. But they wandered. Even when they were free, they wandered. So after they were free, they literally physically wandered around the wilderness, but they spiritually wandered too. They wandered away from God um, many times. Um, 
which can kind of give us a bit of comfort knowing that we're not the, sometimes we have these struggles in our lives. But, but during that wandering, Moses would often bring them back by getting them to remember. Remember what God did. So in your current circumstances, with the short attention span and the short tolerances that us humans have, remember what God did, because it's so easy for us to drift from that blessing. So the retelling of the Exodus story was what sustained them in exile. It wasn't just an occasional thing at random moments, it was a regular practice. Um, a biblical scholar called uh, Karen Newson wrote, even in exile, hope was nourished. Don't you feel like you need nourishment sometimes in your walk of faith? By evoking the memory of Exodus. It's no accident that the story of the Exodus is the only story which the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible, which the Torah instructs the people of Israel to retell. The story is central to their identity as God's people. This would later become, if you've heard of you know, the, the Psalms, later become the core of so many of the Psalms. If you are going through the book we sent out to the church at Christmas, you'll be reading Psalms. Regularly, you'll notice the tone of a Psalm. It's like, what's going on? But you're good. What's happening? I don't understand. But you're good. So Psalmists, God's songwriters, if you like, would often tell these stories of what God did in the Exodus itself. There are scriptures that recount that 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 would increase their faith in present moments of struggle. And if you're a Christian today, as many of you are, we need to tell ourselves the stories of God's goodness to help us in times of struggle. If you're not a Christian today, you're missing out on that reassurance. I'll, I'll make no apology for mentioning that several times today. Many of the Psalms are written as what's called laments, like moments of sad reflection, in times of difficulty, recalling like, well, we've been, and I I want to bring this out this morning with COVID and what's going on. And if you think about the history of God's people and times of struggle and times of being sort of, I mean, even plagues and things, but you think we've kind of been here before in some ways, but God's come through. And therefore, do we trust that he'll do it again? I won't read it all because it would just take too long, but if you've got a Bible handy or an app you can get onto, go to Psalm 105 while I'm just queuing this up. Um, So Psalm 105. Don't worry if you you don't know how to find it, but if you can, get Psalm 105 up somewhere because it's a long psalm if you look at it, right? It's one of the long ones, Um, but it starts with, with this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds the things he has done, amongst the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory is his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and his judgments he uttered of offspring of Abraham, his servants, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. goes on to say, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenants forever. That's his promises. When he makes a promise, he remembers it forever. He's much better at it than we are, because he's infinitely better at it than we are. Um, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations... What that means is for all generations, it's not a literal thousand. 
The rest of that psalm, if you're kind of wouldn't, wouldn't be aware of it, would be a bit hard to follow. But what the rest of that psalm is, is the story of the Exodus. It just lists out the st- and says, look, this is everything God did. Therefore, what you're going through now, he's the same God. So Exodus, the story is retold and remembered. God said he would deliver the Israelites, and he did. God said he would deliver us too, and he has, and he will. He will. He's willing to if you will believe in the promise that he's offered you, and we'll come back to that fairly soon. The Israelites, or the the Jews as we would now call them, commemorate annually the Exodus stories in what is known as Passover. So we're going to have a look at a brief look, a very brief look at something called Passover. Um, So it's a Jewish celebration. It's an annual habit, if you like, of remembering the Exodus rescue. Um, And it's not just as evidence, as I said, it's, it's that God was good, but that God is good. And because he is an unchanging God, his goodness shown in the past remains totally active and relevant today. I've put on the screen here three scriptures to remind us of that. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We have that um, on a mirror that Becky uh, made, um, Becky West, that is, as you come through the door. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. It's a reminder that the nature and character of God is an unchanging nature and character. His goodness is forever. We sing the song, his love endures forever. His goodness, his love is unchanging and is forever. So Passover is this sort of seven or eight day event, depending on where you are in the world. It happens around spring. There's a meal and a feast in the, uh, or a feast in the evening called the Seder, um, which means the order of things. There's a book called the Haggadah, which they use to guide them through multiple rituals, blessings, and various different elements. And these Seders or these ritual feasts center around that commandment I mentioned to tell the story of Exodus um, as part of a command in the Torah. Um, but in a healthy Seder, there is discussion. There isn't just a reading out. If, if you look it up, it says the healthy ones are, there's a discussion about it. What does it mean? Do we understand it? Because uh, children are present during it and they have to ask certain questions. They're pre-formatted. But the idea is to have a discussion around it But also, the healthy ones have a discussion about, so what about today? How do we react to that right now? So Passover is about annually remembering what God did, and therefore God's character, so we can understand him today. Um, Because without understanding of God, we end up shaking our fist at him when we're having a bad week. We end up shaking our fist with him when our computer crashes at the worst possible moment. We shake, oh, God, what are you doing? And of course, these moments, and they're much more serious moments, when we shake our fists at God and we say, what, what are you doing? And in fact, if you read the Psalms, you shouldn't feel too guilty about that because that's what David does. And many of the Psalms say, what is going on? I don't understand. But you can see what happens in many of the Psalms. David or whoever writes and reflects on, but God has proven himself to be good. Therefore, I don't understand, but, but I trust that you're, you know what you're doing and you will be good. 
But how do we understand? How do you understand? You understand by remembering, by reflecting. We use stories to remind us. The novelist A.M. Forster um, said this, unless we remember, this is very simple, but very powerful, unless we remember, we cannot understand. So I know from personal experience, um, and I'm sorry to mention this today, perhaps with our hearts towards Linda, but I lost my mother to cancer a year after I became a Christian. And at the time, it was so difficult to understand. I didn't know what was going on. I prayed with all my faith that she would not die, and yet she did. Um, so in that moment, I am confused. But actually, now I look back, I see what God did during that season. And I haven't got time today to share. I've shared it before. But there was a lot of good that came out of that. And yesterday, there was already a lot of good coming out of sadly losing Linda. We think 250 to 300 people logged into a memorial service yesterday and heard about the, her faith and were, were, were so comforted by stories shared about just what a wonderful lady she was. Good has come out. Jason and Kelly are with us this morning. Good has come out of this. God knows what he's doing, even in tragic circumstances. And I look back on my mum and see all the good he did. I look back and I remember, and therefore I feel comfortable and confident in the present it's important about annually remembering things and remembering things perhaps every day. So that leads us to the third of the, these different ways that we can remember God, the Lord's Supper. Um, and like I say, we'll be taking communion shortly. That's another word for it, quite shortly. So we're getting there in the next sort of five minutes. Um, the Last Supper. This is where we, as, Christ, as a Christian community of faith, come together to remind ourselves who Jesus is, what he did, and therefore who we are in him. Communion is a public act. And if it's done well, as I know it will be done shortly, because Brian and Marin are going to do it, we get to remind ourselves, we get to hear through Scripture, and so witness again what God's enduring love and faithfulness does. So like the Passover Seder, we can grow in our love of a God who makes promises and then fulfills them. He promised to save us, and he has. He promised to make a way, and he has. God promised, and he had it prophesied, that to satisfy his wrath for the sin that we commit, that separates us from God, in order to clear the record of the wrongs that we have done, and none of us can claim that we've led a perfect life. I certainly am glad you can't see inside my mind sometimes. There will be a sacrifice once and for all, that will pay the price for that sin. To have a relationship with a holy God, we can't approach him stained. We can't approach him sinful and ashamed. We just wouldn't want to do it. We need to be able to come towards God confidently and say, God, you have accepted me. God loves us. We're his creation. And for, because of his love, he has made a way. He let his one and only son, Jesus Christ, be the payment for sin. It says crushed for our sin in the prophecy. That we could boldly approach God if we believe.
Let me end with a quote from this series, in fact, the materials that came with this great series. From the Exodus to the Passover to the Last Supper, we are called to be a people who remember God's faithfulness in the past so that we grow our love for him today and trust him tomorrow. Tomorrow.